Abe is going to be teaching today um, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So I'll read that for us. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there, by his head, was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The word of the Lord. Can I, uh, can I get you to read 11 through 18 mm-hmm. as well? Sorry, that's not going to be on the screen, but we're going to get to that this morning. <laughs> the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All those knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Thank you. And sorry for throwing you all those really hard-to-read names. <laughs> I promise if you ever read for us, I won't make you do that on the spot. But um, we're in this series uh, looking at different questions that God asked people in the Old Testament 
And he's not, we've said this, he's not asking these questions because he needs to know the answer to these questions, but he's asking those questions to those people for their sake. That he's actually trying to reorient them, uh, have them discover or understand something about themselves or their situation or their condition. And he asks those questions also to display, how am I going to meet you in the place that I'm asking you this question? What is my heart for you as I ask you this question? And this is, uh, is arguably, I think I could argue this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Old Testament, maybe in all of Scripture. Um, and I think mostly because I can relate to Elijah uh, so profoundly on many fronts in his attitude and his experience here. Um, and I'm going to have to tell you a little bit of, st- I'm going to have to story for you a little bit of what happens right before this for this to kind of make sense. But Elijah has just come off of this moment that Janie just read. He's just come off of arguably one of the most intense personal experiences of his life. You could, you could even potentially argue all of Scripture. A very, very intense mountaintop experience where he uh, single-handedly, he challenges Ahab, who's current, the current king of Israel and not a very good king of Israel, uh, to assemble all of Israel together because uh, Jezebel, his wife, has been putting to death all the prophets of God. He says, assemble all of Israel and bring all the prophets of Baal here. There's like 450 of them all to this mountaintop, and we're going to have a throwdown showdown, okay? And um, here's the deal. We're going to all build our altars and things like that, and then you're going to go first, and you're going to try to call down fire from heaven. And if, you're, if Baal answers and fire falls from heaven, then you win. But then when you're done, if I call down fire, if Baal doesn't do it, then I win, right? And he does it. He calls down fire from heaven, and Baal's prophets go first, and they're, they're not succeeding. They're cutting themselves. They're, they're pleading Baal, 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 right? And he's, Elijah's taunting them. There's, uh, you need to go read in 1 Kings 18 because it's a wild story. Uh, he's literally saying, like, shout louder to Baal. Maybe, maybe he fell asleep, um, or maybe he's already, you know, busy uh, doing something else. Shout louder. He's, he says he's deep in thought or traveling, I mean, that's in the Bible, right? Like he's, he's, Elijah is basically, he's like spiritually bulletproof in 1 Kings 18. Like do you, do you guys are probably not old enough to remember the power team. This was like a group of Christian bodybuilders that went around to junior high schools and would like bend metal, right? To like prove like if you follow Jesus, you can bend metal. Can anybody bend metal this morning for me? I'm kidding. I mean, Elijah, was, he was the power team, right? He was confident. He was full of faith. He was taunting. He's the only prophet left. I'm taunting the Baal prophets, right? On this mountaintop showdown. And they try to call down fire. It doesn't work. And then God sends fire, right? It burns up the sacrifice that Elijah had prepared, and he wins the challenge. I mean, God shows up big time, like spectacular for Elijah, and as a result, Elijah has all these Baal prophets and the Asherah prophets as well seized, and they're, they're put to death. The people of Israel put these, these people who were leading them in the worship of a false god, puts them all to death. And this is like the Super Bowl of spiritual victories, right? Right? And what do you do after the Super Bowl? Take a nap? <laughs> you might take a nap. Yeah, you go to Disney World, Right? You know, it's like time for us. They throw the ticker tape parade, and it's, it's time for, you know, the spiritual victory lap, right? Well, that's not what happens here. 
Because what Janie just read is Elijah flees to the desert. Why does he do that? Well, Ahab, who was, you know, in this time of the kings, it was like for every 10 bad kings, there was one good one that came along. Ahab was one of the bad ones. He's not a good king, and he goes home and he tells his wife Jezebel, who was the person who was responsible almost single-handedly for Israel worshiping these false gods. He goes home and says, hey, Elijah, just call down fire, and all of the prophets of Baal and Asher were put to death. And she's furious. She says this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by tomorrow, this time, I don't make your life like one of them. She's furious. She says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah doesn't go to Disney World, right? He goes to the desert. He sits under a broom tree in absolute, utter despair, hoping and pleading with God, just take my life. I'm done. I've had enough. And God meets him there after some very important care that we'll get into here. And ask him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, I asked this with some of the other questions. Do you hear, do you, when you hear a question like that, do you hear it through the voice of shame? Or do you hear it as an invitation from a loving father? Because I'd encourage you, it's an invitation from a loving father. It's not a shame question. But why is this question so important for Elijah to wrestle with? Why is it so important even for us this morning to consider as we prepare to come to this table? I think this question, there's a lot of things you could say out of this passage. I'm going to talk about three, and I don't know if I'll even talk about all of them to the same degree as one of them. Three things that I think this question invites Elijah to see about him, right? God knows why he's there, right? Elijah's the one who doesn't know why he's there. Three things. Elijah's overestimation of himself, okay? Elijah's underestimation of the battle and the enemy, And then lastly, Elijah's misinterpretation of his loneliness and his aloneness. He misinterpreted that he's all alone, okay? His overestimation of himself, his underestimation of the enemy, and his misinterpretation of his aloneness. Uh, Overestimation of himself. So I'm going to just say this as a statement, and I'll try to argue you into that place as we come to the table. Um, Like Elijah... We are all uh, one well-timed threat away from a total spiritual and emotional yard sale. Every one of us. You guys know what, he, you guys know what he, that term, a yard sale, means in, in snow skiing? How many people snow ski here or have been snow skiing? A yard sale is when, even if you're a very good skier, you're confidently and you're kind of strongly going along, and then all of a sudden you catch an edge, and literally your helmet, your goggles, your gloves, your poles, your skis, everything basically goes in like a 200-yard radius because you wiped out so bad, right? That's a yard sale. And that's what is, in effect, happening to Elijah right now. Because he's gone from this mountaintop, confident, I'm zealous, right? I'm, there is nobody more zealous for God than me, right? From this mountaintop to all of a sudden being in this desert valley in a matter of a day. He's gone from calling down fire to one woman's threats to put him to death, leading for him, 
running for his life and asking for God to take his life. I'm done. What's going on here? Can you relate to that? Everybody's staring at me like, ugh. I'd argue that where Elijah's at shouldn't surprise us at all, and it shouldn't have surprised him at all, right? Because Elijah, I think if you are following what you sense going on here, Elijah is emotionally and mentally and physically exhausted. And he's exhausted from doing really good work. Like, he is standing up to a wicked king who's in leadership over all of Israel, who's worshiping false gods. And he, he is standing up to him and saying, I, I'm going to put myself in my neck. I'm he's doing something very, very good, right? And he is literally physically, emotionally, and spiritually wiped out from the battle that he's been in. And he's saying, literally, his body is saying, his, his emotions are saying, I cannot keep going at this pace. He's like a fighter who has literally swung himself into exhaustion. And so the mere threat of, of Jezebel was such a discouragement, it was like a death blow to him, right? He's worn out. He's overestimated himself, Right? He's worn out from doing really good work. Now, you could, you could argue there's a whole other sermon in here that, that many people are worn out. Maybe you're one of them and exhausted, not from doing really good work. But there was a whole other group of people in here that were really worn out. It was the prophets of Baal. If you go read about them in 1 Kings 18, they're literally worn out from trying to get their gods to perform for them. And they were exhausted as well. But that's not where Elijah was at. Elijah wasn't worn out from trying to get his idols to work for him. He was worn out from actually serving the Lord. He was beat. And part of why, when God asked him that question, why are you here, Elijah? Part of why he was there was because he overestimated himself. He overestimated his abilities. He overestimated his own personal needs, his limitations, his humanity. And so how does God respond to Elijah's overestimation of himself? I love this. He doesn't sit him down and lecture him, right? He doesn't say, hey, dude, pull yourself together, right? Have you kind of, you kind of lost it here, right? You remember yesterday? No. He doesn't give him a lecture. He says, let's have lunch. He says, you need a nap. You need a good meal, and then you need another nap, and then you need another good meal, and then, then we'll talk. But I'm going to talk to you in a whisper because you're in no condition right now to hear from me. You're running at this point in this story in your own strength, which is showing that it's failing you because it does. Our strength fails, right? But I'm not going to shame you in that place. I'm not going to shame you. I'm actually going to slow you down. I'm actually going to stop you in your tracks right? And I'm going to tend to your needs so that I can tend to your heart and to your mind in time, but I got to take care of you first. God meets, it's a, it's a beautiful picture, God meets his physical need here because he knows if I don't meet that need, 
meeting your spiritual or your psychological or your emotional needs, I can't do it. You're in no place to receive it, right? And God doesn't choose to meet him in the fire. Remember, he, he came in fire. He is the God of fire. He came in fire the day before, but he's saying, I'm not going to come to you in a spectacular way this time. I'm going to come to you in a simple way, through some bread, through some sleep, and through a whisper. So for us, first thing, are you overestimating yourself? I mean, most people I do, I know do. They believe they can do more than they can. And they feel the weight of trying to do more than they can. And they're exhausted from trying to do more than God's called them to do. I mean, James 5, 17 says Elijah was a human being just as we were. Some of us, and this is like great spiritual advice. People are like, I'm going to go home and take that advice this afternoon. Some of us need to learn how to take a nap. I mean, think about like, this is a tough one. If you ran into a friend and said, what did you do this afternoon? You said, well, I, I needed to take a nap. Most people don't like to share that with people, right? You feel like a slouch, right? Like, I, you took a nap today? Who takes naps, right? Elijah did because he knew where he was at. God knew where he was at. Some of us need to eat a good meal. Some of us need to stop. Like most people talk about needing to slow down. I just need to slow down. Slowing down doesn't do it. Most people don't understand you need to stop. Come to a complete stop, right? Not slow down. And most people try to recover from their spiritual, emotional, psychological exhaustion by seeking something else spectacular, usually through recreation, by the way, to actually do for them what only the Lord can do. Elijah overestimated himself. The Lord had to get him well physically, (laughs) rested physically, to get him still enough to hear the whisper of the Lord. Secondly, Elijah underestimated his battle and the enemy. I literally believe this, that after this battle on Mount Carmel, I mean, think about the the magnitude of this, this. He's facing all of these people and then this massive swing of events. It's very easy to think Elijah probably thought the battle was over, right? You know? I just had this huge victory. God, fire fell from heaven. This is certainly going to turn the tide with Israel's leadership. Ahab and Jezebel, they're going to kind of wake up and realize Baal and Asherah, they are not real, right? And my gods are whipped, and so we're going to start leading the people back to Yahweh, right? I mean, it's very natural to think that was what Elijah would have been thinking, but he found out really quickly No, no, no. The battle is still on, right? The enemy, literally Jezebel, it doesn't take a day off. Most of us, me, I'm talking to me when I say this, don't live with the awareness or don't even consider the depth of the spiritual battle that we are in, the resistance that we are facing every single day, that Scripture tells us that we are facing every single day, especially, especially when we're trying to move towards a deeper intimacy and a deeper relationship with Jesus. When you're trying to move, because that's what Elijah's trying to do. He's trying to move the people of God in that direction, 
and, and the battle is on. And one victory, it's not over. The battle keeps going, right? When you're trying to move towards deeper worship, deeper intimacy, deeper relationship with the Lord, Satan will throw everything he has at you. I was talking to somebody here a couple weeks ago. Like, man, it's good to be here. Man, it's so hard to get here. Getting our kids out the door and everything is just like a battle. I'm like, it is a battle. It's a battle for you to get in this room this morning and actually come do this thing that, that Jesus, when he instituted the table, says, do this offering in remembrance of me. You need to be fed like Elijah needed to be fed because the battle's real. But it's a battle to get here. I can't tell you how many times people came to small group over the last 18 months and said, like, God, it felt like pulling a nail out of a board just trying to get out the door and get to small group. But man, I'm so glad I was here. Man, it's so good. Isn't that the way it works? Like, it's, there's so much resistance, and then you get there, and you actually taste what the Lord has for you, and you go, oh, gosh. It's a battle to be intentional in discipling your kids, right? Like, it's so difficult to actually care and invest in them the way that we're called to and, and want to. But when we do, isn't it good? Isn't it good for our relationships? Isn't it a battle to actually turn a conversation with a friend past the surface stuff that's going on in our life and actually talk about where I'm afraid or where I'm lonely or where I'm exhausted or what I, you know, what's going on? It's a battle, but every time I do it, I'm like, oh, man. Elijah underestimated his battle and his enemy. Paul says this is reality for us. This is Ephesians 6 for. Our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, how many of you, your alarm goes off and you go, man, I got a serious day today because I got uh, rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms fighting against me today? Or is it just kind of like, man, I just got a lot to do today? Like, do you, do you acknowledge that you're in a battle? Most people don't. It's hard to even remember. That's part of how Satan works is try to get you to not even think there's a real battle going on. Go read the screw tape letters if you want to learn more about that, Right? So what does Paul say? Therefore, put on the full armor of God. That's what we're even doing right now. I'm putting the truth of the gospel on so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, stand. So let me talk about a shared battle that I think we're all in, uh, and it's the ongoing battle of this pandemic. And that's actually a medical battle, yes, but um, this I don't know if I've seen something that has affected people more spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, communally, societally than what we've been through over the last two years. I mean, there is a ton of Elijahs out. You may be one of them. I've been one of them. Under the broom tree saying, I'm, I've had enough. I'm done. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally exhausted. 
still very isolated. Many people still very isolated. Discouraged, despaired, running wherever. I'm just running, trying to get some relief from what I'm afraid of. Would you dare to believe if that's you? That like Elijah, God wants to meet you in that place and not meet you there to shame you and say, why are you here with a shaming voice? But that he understands like what he said to, to Elijah here, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Such a, a, a loving acknowledgement of Elijah, I know why you're here. What you're facing, it's too much for you. And I'm going to tend to your entire person because I'm actually going to send you back because that's what he did. I'm going to send you back in to what you're called to do, but you can't go back into that without me meeting you where you're at and taking care of you. So have you underestimated the battle you're in? You might be overestimating yourself. That might be where, why you are where you are. But you might be underestimating the battle you're in and your enemy. Right? And would you let the Lord fight for you? Because that's what the Lord's doing here for Elijah. He's fighting for him. He's tending to him in a way that he can't tend to himself. Lastly, Elijah's misunderstanding of his aloneness. I love that twice, this is just, there's so much we could, you could cook in. You've got to go like meditate on this passage. That twice Elijah tells the Lord. I mean, it's almost, he's kind of blaming the Lord when he says like, I'm the only one left, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever gotten to that place where you feel like your pain is so unique that you're the only person in the universe who's experiencing what you're experiencing. But that's what he's basically doing to God. Like, it's me, right? I'm the only zealous person and I'm the only one left. And then God, after taking care of him very, very kindly through this meal and angels and all this, he says basically to him this, no, you're not, right? You're not. I've got other people, other leaders, Hazel and Jehu, right, that you need to go call into action. They're going to do certain things that you're not called to do. They're called to do them. So you need to ask for help, right? Because there's these other people. And then there are 7,000 people who haven't worshipped Baal yet, haven't kissed a Baal yet, and, and I've got those people in reserve, and you don't even know about those people. He's basically saying this, I know, I know you feel alone. I know you feel that way, but you're not alone. You're not alone. There's, there's others who are going to step into this with you, but guess what? Even in this moment, I'm here with you right? I'm with you and I'm still at work and I'm at work in ways that you don't know anything about, but you need me to tend to you right now before you're going to go tend to some other things. It's a beautiful window into God's intimate personal care and concern for Elijah, knowing that he is feeling alone, right? And again, he doesn't say to him, how can you question me, Right? How can you not trust me after the fire incident to protect you, right? To provide from you, provide for you. I, I'm doing something here. But the Lord knows something that Elijah has forgotten. You, you are a human being. You are frail. You are prone to forget. You are prone to unbelief. You are prone to wander. You are prone to fear. You are prone to despair, right? And you need bread from heaven to fall from you to feed you just like you needed that fire to fall from heaven the day before. For me, when I overestimate myself 
and I underestimate the battle. Fear, sadness, loneliness easily come into my life. Easily. It's like I literally left the door open and a light on that says, come rob my house, right? They easily come into my life. And I often do the same thing that Elijah does here. I respond by running away. I'm going to run away from the Lord. I'm going to run away from my call. I'm going to draw all sorts of conclusions and write all sorts of narratives about how alone I am because I'm interpreting those emotions as purely negative rather than normative. This is a normal part of being a human being in a fallen world. If you aren't experiencing fear, <laughs> doubt, discouragement, loneliness, then you are either one of about three things, completely out of touch with your heart. And let's have a conversation about that. It's either that you have a very insulated life from what's going on in the world around you. Or lastly, you're so numb and so distracted with secondary things, probably idols in your life, and aren't on mission with the Lord, that the enemy doesn't even have to ramp it up with you. So why, why are you here? Like when you hear that question, Elijah, let's ask that question as we come to the table. Why are you here? Where are you this morning? Where are you? Are you discouraged? Are you lonely? Are you angry? You feel lost? Have you overestimated your capacity? Have you underestimated the battle you're in? Have you underestimated your deep need of the Lord? Are you willing to stop this morning? Because that's what this table does. This table stops us and says, bring the full weight of your discouragement, you Elijahs. <laughs> Blame me, get angry, act like I don't care about you. Bring it all to the table, right? Bring it all. Bring all of that. And guess what? I'm going to meet you there. Because this table, it's for the exhausted. It's for the hungry. It's for the despairing. It's for those who are hopeless in themselves. I, I'm done, Right? And the Lord says, come on, run to the table. Come with your weariness, come with your loneliness, and let me feed you. Let me rest you at this table, and maybe in doing that, you can actually begin to hear my voice, my whisper about what's next. Because at this table, let me tell you who you meet. And I'll stop talking. Man, I got a lot to say about this. The Baal prophets, when they were doing their part of their, the throwdown, they were cutting themselves, and it says in there that the blood flowed because they were trying to get their God to pay attention to them. They were sacrificing themselves. Pay attention to us. And he didn't. Why? Because he wasn't real. The God you meet at this table isn't asking you to come up here and cut yourself to get him to pay attention to you. He's the one that says, I'm the one who's going to be cut. I was cut. It was my blood that flowed, and I showed up because I loved you. I'm constantly paying attention to you. You are the apple of my eye, child. So Paul says this. I'm going to invite the guys to 
come on up who are going to be serving communion. Come on. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. I am for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this meal is for people. This meal is for the Elijahs for the people who have gotten to the end of themselves and said, all of my hope for my salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, not by my sacrifice, not by my performance. If that's you, run to this table. Bring it all to him. If you're here this morning and saying, I don't know, I don't know if I believe in that Jesus, and I'm not sure that's true about me, great. It's exciting that you're here this morning. Don't come eat this meal, because Paul warns, if you eat this meal, that's what you're saying you believe about Jesus. So come to him first before you come to the meal that declares you have come to him. There's also an invitation that Paul says, examine your heart. And those questions, have I overestimated myself? Have I underestimated the battle, right? And have I misinterpreted my, my aloneness? Those are great things to let the Lord examine your heart as you prepare to come be met by him at this table, all right? So ask him, ask him those questions. Examine me, Lord, and lead me to yourself, all right? So I'm going to pray for us. When you're ready, come. This isn't fast food. Take your time. Uh, we really want you to commune with the Lord. The worship team is going to lead worship. When you're ready, put out your hands. We'll be happy to serve you the elements. Uh, if you need prayer, cross your, cross your arms and we'll pray for you. Um, but yeah, allow the Lord to meet you uh, where you're at. Okay, Lord, we love you. Uh, meet us now at your table. Thank you uh, that <laughs> you, uh, you've got a history of feeding your weary kids, uh, and speaking to the truth. So I pray that you'd whisper in some ears right now, like you did for Elijah. Whisper and remind us of who we are, uh, of your great love for us and your care for us. Uh, We pray in your name. Amen.